You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. It's so good to be with you again. Here we are at number seven in the I Am series, and it's the final I Am that Jesus makes while he's on earth. It's really good that it's falling on Pentecost Sunday today, when churches concentrate on that amazing day we read about in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended in the upper room and made those 120 believers into powerful men and women to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, everywhere and into every generation. There is a sense where, for us who know him, it's Pentecost Sunday every day. But this I am statement shows the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life on a daily basis. It's what he does for us. You know, Jesus, while he was on earth, brought so much revelation to the people, especially to his disciples who were listening to his every word. Jesus knew that they had a work to do and he needed to give them the tools to do that work once he had gone from earth, gone back into heaven. So first of all, he proclaims he's God. He uses I am as the introduction to each claim. The name God gave Moses when he was called to go to Pharaoh, when God told him to say, tell him, I am has sent you. But you know, even more than that, Jesus has gone on to share far more about his character, God's character, who he is and how he works for them. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to heaven. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And now today he says, I am the true vine. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 15, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Amen. 
Did you note in verse 1, he makes the statement, I am the true vine, and follows it very quickly with, and my father is the gardener. So we have this wonderful image of the close bond of father and son. A picture to teach about the privilege and responsibility for the disciples and for us as his followers today. You know, as branches, we have the privilege of sharing in his life, but we also have the responsibility of remaining, abiding. This chapter is all about the kind of fellowship Jesus wants for us. It's not about sonship, it's about fellowship, about abiding in him, remaining in him, so we can produce fruit. You might want to note that in verses 1 to 11, Jesus uses the word fruit six times. But he also uses the word abide at least 15 times, although it isn't always translated abide, but abide or remain is the meaning. So I think Jesus wants us to understand something here. I have to say, I have heard these verses um, used to teach about the possibility of falling from grace, losing our salvation. But that isn't what I believe Jesus is saying to us in this passage. If it was, surely the picture would have been of the backslidden Christian withering first and then failing to produce fruit and then being cast out. But if you read verse 6, clearly it, it, it has it the other way round for purpose. The branch is thrown away and then it withers. This is not a scripture about keeping yourself saved. It's about living in his word, about praying, about obeying his commands, about keeping our lives clean and about being ready for him to use. That's what it means to remain in him or to abide in him. You know, Israel has a long association with vineyards. If you go today, you'll see vineyards all across the country. It's probably best avoided at the moment, but normally you would see vineyards all across the country. Its climate encourages vines to grow. In days gone by, the vine was the supreme symbol of Israel. And you can still see lots of the symbol of the two spies sent into Canaan, carrying the huge cluster of grapes on poles from their shoulders. It's recorded as, uh, that a golden vine adorned Herod's palace. The coinage minted in Israel just after the time of Jesus bore the vine symbol. So once again, we've got Jesus speaking to the crowds, speaking to his disciples, and they were, they were hearing the symbolic language that they could understand. There were vineyards all around them. Jesus was always keen to speak to people in a way that they would understand because he wanted them to know God, to know him. And that's what he, he was for them. That's what he did for them. And that's what he does for us. So today I want us to consider what this means for us in 2021. And in a slight deviation from my norm, I have four points I want us to consider about Jesus as the vine and about abiding. Simple to remember because they're the four nouns that are mentioned in the scripture we've read. So the first is the vine itself. We're going to look at who Jesus is. Then the second one is the branches. That's us, who we are to Jesus. The third one is the gardener and that's Father God. And the fourth one is the fruit. What our lives need to show to others. So 
let's begin by looking at Jesus the vine. You know, there are actually three different vines found in scripture and we have to see them to know why Jesus says here, I am the true vine. Because if you look at scripture, there's a past, a present and a future vine all mentioned. The past vine is the nation of Israel. There are lots of scripture to show this. So let me share a couple with you. Psalm 80 verses 8 and 9 says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. Or in Jeremiah 2 and 21 it says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? O oh, Israel, you could have fulfilled God's plan and shown yourself to be the nation God intended you to be. You could also go to read more about that. Isaiah 5, 1-7, Ezekiel 19, 10-14, or Hosea 10 and 1. God took the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and transplanted them into Canaan. He gave this one nation every possible benefit. If ever a nation had everything it needed to succeed, it was Israel. God in almost despair asks in Isaiah 5 and 4, what more could I have done for them? They had everything, but that vine produced wild grapes. Instead of practising justice, it produced oppression. Instead of producing righteousness, it produced unrighteousness and cries of distress from its victims. God had to deal with them over and over, but still they constantly chose to go their own way and ignore what God had told them to do. When they were in trouble, they would turn to him and follow his way for a short time, but always go back to their old ways. Even when God did the ultimate and sent his son, they cast him out and killed him. Read Matthew 21 verses 33 to 46 later. Israel could have and should have lived as the example of God's grace for all nations. They were the vine, but not the true vine. There is also a future vine described in Revelation chapter 14 and verses 14 to 20. This is, a, this is about judgment. Believers are branches in the vine of heaven, just as Jesus said in John's Gospel. He is the true vine. But there is also a vine on earth. And those who depend on this world for their sustenance and satisfaction will be cut down and destroyed. That should really spur us on as Christians to pray and to witness, to bring God's kingdom now to people before it's too late. But the third vine spoken of in scripture is the one we're looking at today. Jesus, the true vine, the present vine. The one who is always doing the right thing, always showing the way to God, to live for him, to be what Israel should have been. He's the original. All others are just a copy. People of God, we don't have to live with substitutions. The symbolism of the vine and the branches is very similar to the head and the body because it's the same. Jesus does not expect us to go it alone. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help and to guide. He walks with us all the way. We have a living relationship with God the Son. We belong to him. He's taken us into the throne room. And you know what? We are welcome there. In countries like Israel with the right conditions and climate, 
Vines can grow very large and very strong. It would be next to impossible to break off a mature branch without injuring the vine itself. Our union with Christ, the true vine, is a living union so we can bear fruit. It's a loving union so we can really enjoy him. And it's a lasting union so we need never be afraid. It's the vine that gives life to the branches and it's Jesus, the true vine, who's the source of life for us. In the I Am series, Jesus has talked a lot about life. He's the bread of life. He's the way, the truth and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. Well, thank God he is the author of life and gives us that life in fullness and abundance. Jesus is the true vine. Secondly, we are the branches. A branch is very much part of the vine, but in itself, a branch is weak and useless. It can't do anything on its own. It relies on the vine for life. It's our communion with Christ through the Spirit that makes bearing fruit possible. Scripture gives us many images of Christ and the believer. He loves to have relationship with us. And that's shown in the concept of union and communion. So he talks to us of the body and its members in 1 Corinthians 12, or of the bride and the bridegroom in Ephesians 5. And, and we've read it already in this series, The Sheep and the Shepherd in John 10. You know, a member cut off from the body dies. It has no life on its own. A marriage creates a union, but it takes love and relationship to maintain communion. The shepherd brings the sheep into the fold, but the sheep have to follow the shepherd so they're protected and they find the best pasture. People of God, we are branches. On our own, we can't do anything, but we have to stay connected to the vine. It's the reason why we constantly say we have to abide. He tells us that 15 times in verse the 11 verses we've read today. It's obviously very important, no matter how it's translated. Abide, the new international version, translates it remain. Stay there. It's the key word in this chapter. You know, it was the key word throughout the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. But for some unknown reason, they chose to ignore it to their cost. We don't want to follow them. We have to stick, to remain, to abide, to continue, to endure, to persist, to keep on, to go on, to stay, to linger, to wait, however you want to put it. Make sure it's what you do because we need to keep ourselves firmly attached to the vine, the true vine, the living vine, the present vine, to Jesus Christ whose life will then be able to work in us and through us to produce lasting fruit. That means spending time with him reading his word, confessing our sins so nothing hinders that life-giving communion with him. And of course it means obeying him because we love him. When we do this, there's evidence. We'll talk more about fruit in a minute, but there's more. We'll experience the Father's pruning. Pruning plants in the garden is something I have always struggled to understand. It seems almost wrong to cut away seemingly good branches in order for them to grow stronger and bushier and better. But you know, I found the problems which arise when you don't do the pruning and you end up with a tall, spindly plant with no strength or fullness at all. 
I've not done it any favours at all, leaving it to its own devices. So what feels almost cruel is a natural part of really caring for and getting the best out of your plants. The father's pruning of the branches is to produce more fruit. There's a couple of fruits promised in the first part of John 15. If you look at verse 7, it says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Wow, that's some promise. Another is found in verses 12 to 13. My command is this, love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Pruned branches can produce a deepening love for Christ and for other believers. And one final fruit here in John 15 is in verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now there's another great promise, complete joy. Who doesn't want complete joy? Wow, it's his promise to us. He's given it to us. Amazing. My third point comes from verse 1, Jesus' opening statement as he talks of who he is and it has an added dimension. He says, I am the true vine, telling us who he is and my father is the gardener. It's again translated in different ways. Sometimes it's translated a husbandman, vine dresser, vine grower, the one who cares for the vine. I'm happy to do gardener because it's what my Bible has said. But you know, it doesn't matter because it's the same. It's the same job. It's he who prunes the branches, carefully ensuring they produce more and more of the best and the sweetest grapes. Did you notice how John writes of the progression? In verse 1, he starts no fruit. Then he goes on in verse 3 to fruit. Then in verse 5, more fruit. And finally, in verse 8, much fruit. I don't know about you, but I want to produce much fruit. But I confess, I don't always enjoy the pruning process because it can be painful. The gardener caring for his plants prunes in two ways. The first is he cuts away dead wood that can breed disease or let insects in to damage the whole branch. But he does something else. The hard part. He cuts away living tissue so the life of the vine will not be so dissipated that the quality of the crop will be jeopardised. In fact, sometimes he will even cut away those branches of grapes so that the rest, uh, whole branches of grapes, sorry, so that the rest of the crop will be of the highest quality. Our gardener wants both quality and quantity. You know, the pruning process is the most important part of growing vines. Some of the best Great growers invest two or even three years training their primers or their pruners so they know exactly where to cut, how much to cut and even the right angle to make the cut. It is so important to get the quality that they need. Because God loves us, he prunes us and encourages us to bear more fruit so people will look at us and see the one who is our all in all. Just as Israel should have been doing when God made them a people and gave them Canaan. If those branches could have spoken, they would confess the pruning hurts. But it's so worthwhile when they see the amount of fruit they can now bear because of that pruning. You know what? 
your heavenly Father is never nearer you than when he's pruning you. That's true, isn't it? Look back at the times when you know he was pruning you and he stays so close while he does that. Pruning is not simply spiritual surgery taking away what's bad. It's often taking away the good and the better so that we can enjoy the best. How does he prune us? Sometimes he uses his word to convict and cleanse us. The word translated prune in John 15 and 2 is translated cleanse or purge in John 13 and 10. It's the same word, although the meaning feels a bit different. Listen, this is Jesus speaking. A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. At the time, pruning hurts. When God removes something we've been holding on to, it can be painful. But as a spiritual crop is produced, we see Father God knew what he was doing all along. The more we cling to God, to Jesus, the more fruit we bear. The more fruit we bear, the more Father God has to prune us. So the quality and the quantity is always the same. And finally, number four, the fruit. This is what God requires of us. Sometimes we hear Christians talk about results, but that isn't a biblical concept. A machine can produce results, and so can robots, but it takes a living organism to produce fruit. Something to think about. The branches don't eat the fruit, others do. We need to be the kind of people to feed others by our words and our works. There's a little verse in Proverbs 10, 21. I only recently discovered it. The lips of the righteous nourish many. I hadn't noticed it, but it speaks volumes. The lips of the righteous nourish many. There are several different kinds of spiritual fruit highlighted for us in Scripture. For example, we bear fruit when we win others for Christ, Romans 1 and 13. We're part of the harvest in John 4, 35 to 38. As we grow in holiness and obedience, we're bearing fruit, Romans 6.22. Paul says giving is the fruit of a dedicated life. Of course, we know the fruit of the Spirit for both inward and outward aspects of our lives. Love, joy, peace, all inward. And long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness and self-control, all outward. The kind of Christian character that glorifies God and makes Christ real for others. Our good works, our service for him, grow out of our abiding life. Colossians 1 and 10. And finally, though I'm sure you can come up with many others, the praise that comes from our hearts and lips is actually fruit to the glory of God. And you know, the most wonderful thought is this, that the real spiritual fruit has in it the seeds for more fruit. Did you get that? The real spiritual fruit has in it the seeds for even more fruit. Spirit-produced fruit will go on reproducing from one life to another, just as John 15 says to us, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Listen, a true branch united with the vine will always bear fruit. Where there is life, there will be fruit. In John 14 and 7, Jesus spoke about peace. Is a very comforting verse and one we cling to in dark times. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
Well, now he mentions love and joy. Verses 9 to 11 of John 15. We have just been looking at the fruits of the Spirit. And these are, of course, the first three. Love, joy and peace. The ones that help the inner person. Our remaining, our abiding in Christ will produce these in our lives. Because we love him, we keep his commands. And as we keep his commands, we remain in his love and experience it in a different way. Several times in John's Gospel, we find Jesus speaking about his Father's love for him. Sometimes we so emphasise God's love for the world and for his church that we forget that the Father loves the Son so completely, so thoroughly, so passionately. Scripture says he put everything into the Son's hands, put everything under his feet. He revealed everything to him. He loved him before the foundation of the world. And you know the amazing thing? is that today believers can experience that same intensity of love. Remember Jesus' prayer in John 17? Listen, verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make known you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The old chorus put it another way. I'm covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. I'm covered over with the precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me. Oh, what joy it is to know my heavenly father loves me so and gives to me my Jesus. When he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. That completely blows my mind. Jesus Christ, God's son, showing his deity, his character, his unadulterated love as the true vine, loving us too much to leave us as we are. I am the true vine. As branches of that vine, we have the privilege of remaining in him and the responsibility of bearing fruit. So stay close to him, Riverview. Allow the gardener to prune you so you bear the best and the most fruit possible, so as to show Jesus to this town we love and long to see one for him. May God richly bless you and use you for his glory. Amen. Amen.